Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. First John, if you will, First John chapter 2, we're walking through First John chapter 2, and I'm going to reread the passage that we read last um, Sunday. And I promise this is the last week we're going to read from this passage. But there's so much here. Uh, He says in verse 15, do not love the world. I think they should have that on the screen. Yeah. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust that comes from the flesh, the lust that comes from the eyes... And the pride that comes from life. I don't know if any of you were here last week when I had the stinky uh, sermon illustration. Where we talked about uh, uh, that these lusts, this word lust means strong desire. These desires are coming from somewhere. And we have desires coming from the flesh. And I talked kind of extensively about that last week. And if you're on our Facebook group, I kind of touched base on this, I don't know, three different times this week to help elaborate a little bit. So hopefully that was helpful to you. Um, But we didn't really get to the lust that comes from or the desires that come from the eyes. That's what I want to talk to you about today. But also about the pride that comes from living or the pride that comes from life. These things, he says, come not from the Father but from the world. It's important to know where it's coming from. That's, that's, that's the point. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life do not come from the Father, but they come from the world. And when you have a, an, a living organism, where something comes from is very important. That's why um, fruit and vegetables are more healthy than Twinkies. Because Twinkies come from a lab. Fruits and vegetables come from the ground. And to us living organisms, uh, it's more healthy to eat something that comes from something real than to, than to eat something that comes from a lab, right? But sometimes the lab stuff tastes better, but that's a, that's a, that's a trick. That's just a, trying to trick your brain. Uh, it's healthier for you to eat stuff that comes from nature. It's healthier. Actually, in all of life, we had a, a training this week for our leaders, and it was called Natural church development training, which natural, the keyword is natural or organic, or things that happen naturally. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not manufactured. If you need lights, cameras, and action in order to have church, you don't really have church. You have a Twinkie church. Uh, and God's interested in things that are more healthy than that. Because um, Twinkie Church is great for you on Sunday, but it doesn't last Monday, and it certainly doesn't last till Tuesday. And by the time you get to Wednesday, you've forgotten all about whatever you were jumping around about on Sunday, because uh, the sugar high is gone. Anyway, the, the example is going a bit too far. I'm just saying that it's better to be in a healthy environment that maybe isn't as sugary, but is healthy. It's, good, it's better to have a Christian experience that is, is actually being ingrained into your natural life, and it's happening naturally. Rather than to have an, a forced sort of induction kind of thing, a forced uh, a religion on top of your life. Rather, God intends for this whole thing to take over your life. He wants to be your life. He wants to be your source. He wants to change the source of, 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 of where things are coming from in your life, right? Like, where is the attitude coming from? 
Where are your thoughts coming from? It's more important than even the thoughts that you're having. Where is your uh, political persuasion coming from? Where are your values coming from? It's even more important than the values that you hold. The question is, did it come from the world or did it come from the Father? And so God wants, God wants to be your source, the source, the place where these thoughts and attitudes and desires spring from. And so he says, look, be careful, don't fall in love with the world, because when you fall in love with the world, suddenly you start leaning on the world for your source, and that's where all of your desires are coming from. Your desires of your flesh, desires of your eyes, and the, and, and the pride of life is all coming from the world. And this is the key right here, he says, because the world and its desires pass away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. What he's doing now, he's moving to the future. He says, let's talk about where things are coming from, because where they're coming from will determine on where they're going. Stuff from the world, it may seem good right now, but where it is going, that's the problem. <laughs> the, the, if, 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 and if, if we knew this in all of life, I think it would change our perspective on everything. If, if we knew where things were going, we would evaluate them differently because where they're going can sometimes completely change the value of the thing. Like, like almost a year, well, a little over a year ago, Kobe Bryant and his daughter got into a helicopter. If he knew that was going into the side of a mountain, he wouldn't have gotten into it, I'm pretty sure. Right? But, 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 in, but when you don't know that, this seems like a favored position to fly in a helicopter, to go to the sporting event or whatever, whatever you're doing. This is, this is great. It's, there's no lines in the airport. You can get there quicker. You don't have to fight traffic. Seems like a blessing until you, until you know where it's going. Same thing is true with the Titanic, right? Lots of people thought it was a blessing to be able to get onto the Titanic. But now we know because of where the Titanic was going. Not because the Titanic was bad or wrong or evil or anything like that, but because of where it was going, that was actually not a good life choice. Right? It seemed like a good choice. And there's a lot of things in this world that seem amazing, that seem wonderful, that seem like a promotion, seem like a blessing. Wow, God's blessing me. And yet it, it, the question is, is it coming from the world? Because if, if your desires are being pulled from the world, this is not a good choice. Because of where this thing is going. The world is the Titanic. And you can have the best suite on the Titanic, but it's still on the Titanic. Right? You can have the best penthouse on the Titanic, but it's still the Titanic. It's still going down. And Scripture is helping us to see what we cannot see with our natural eyes. Where these things are going to end up. That the world is ending up in fire. The world is ending up in smoke. The world is ending up in destruction. The world and its desires pass away. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Eternal life. And that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of the gospel, that no matter how long you've been on the Titanic, that God is offering you a chance to get off the Titanic and get into a lifeboat. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no two-room suites in a lifeboat. I don't know that... Yeah, but it's not on the Titanic. It, it, vegetables don't taste as good as Twinkies, but they'll help you live longer. Fruit doesn't, you know, doesn't quite have as much sugar content as uh, ding-dongs, for instance, but they'll help you live longer. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like, well, yeah, there's a bit of a trade-off that following God, amen, he's, he knows what I'm talking about. Following God might not be as sexy on this end of it, 
But there's, but, but let me tell you, your, your emotional life will be a lot better. Your family life will be a lot better. Your finances actually will be better. You, like, like, like the lifeboat, it's going to be a less bumpy ride on the lifeboat than on the Titanic. <laughs> He's getting the illustration. He says, I, I got you. I got you. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so many temptations. I know. Everything just looks so great right now. Uh, but you have to pay. That's why scripture is so helpful because it gives us a perspective we wouldn't have on our own. The world's passing away. You wouldn't know that by looking at it. You wouldn't know that by, by living in it. You wouldn't know that by investing in it. You wouldn't know that by placing all your values in it. It doesn't seem like it's passing away. It's been around for a long time. It seems like everything is always going to go along the way that it always has. And yet scripture says, no, the world is passing away and its desires. Only the one who does the will of God will abide forever. There's eternal life being offered to you and to me. No matter how long you've been on the, 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 the Titanic, you can step onto the lifeboat. And I'm sure that anyone, I'm sure if, if, if Kobe knew where things were going, he gladly would have driven. It's more, you know, it's more inconvenient. But at least you get there. Right? And September 11th, 2001, if those people knew where the, the Twin Towers were headed, they wouldn't have gone into work that day. Right? And, and, and you say, well, I need to work. Well, not today you don't. You know? Because where things are going is so important. And God has given us a glimpse into this. Not, not into September 11th or for Kobe Bryant or for the, the Titanic, but into this world. Anything attached to this world is passing away. Which is why the pride of life is so deceptive, because the pride of living grabs a hold to this idea that, okay, I'm here, therefore I'm good. I have a, a good seat on the Titanic, therefore I'm good. And, 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 and God is asking us to let go of the pride of life, not because he wants our lives to, you know, be dull and boring, but because he wants us to live. He wants us to live eternally. Which is why the pride of life is so important that we let go of that, this idea that as long as I'm here, as long as I'm living, as long as I'm breathing, that I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. No, man, you're, there's something more important than your health. There's something more important than your bank account. There's something more important than your stimulus check. Come on, somebody. Anybody, anybody, checking, their, anybody checking their bank app multiple times yesterday, getting your phone out? I see you. I know what you're doing. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? But that's, that's, why, that's why tithing, and this isn't a giving message, but that's why tithing is so powerful to cut away from the pride of life. And if you talk to Joe Schmo, if you talk to your friends outside of the church who are, who are, who are driven by desires of the flesh, desires from their eyes, and the, the, and the pride of life, they'll tell you that tithing is ridiculous. Why are you going to give 10% of the stimulus check, why are you going to give 10% of that to God? Right? Because God didn't help you get it. That was, that, was, that, was, that was the president, I guess. You know, the current president. He's the one who did it. And so, and so just, you know, give him an offering or something. I don't know. Like give, say, say just, just go enjoy it. Just go spend it on the, the, the desires on your flesh. Just, you know, get, 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 get something for yourself. Our kids are already trying to tell us that they should get X amount of dollars because they're getting X. No, it doesn't work that way. I'm spending X amount of dollars to keep you alive. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this is just re reimbursing the past, you know, 11 years, and it hasn't even come close. So you're, you're, you're still in the red. When you get into the black, we can talk about this, but you're still in the red. And so go do your chores, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but, uh, 
But no, this, 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 this is the idea. You deserve this. This is what the pride of life will tell you. You deserve this. You deserve to pamper yourself. You deserve to take a break. And, and sure, I mean, absolutely that God loves to bless us. But when, I, but when I take 10% and I give it back to God off the top, what am I saying? I'm saying that God is my source, that the government is not my source, that my brains are not my source, and my, my ingenuity is not my source. Because here's the deal. You, don't, you, you actually don't have to preach as a preacher. I don't, I don't even have to preach the doctrine of sowing and reaping. We all already believe in it. We all believe in it, and even if you're not agricultural, you believe in it. Like, like, if you didn't, the first time, so you get a job, the first Friday you get paid, you say, yes, I'm done with this, I'm out of here. Well, no, nobody says that. They go back in on Monday, because they don't just need to get paid once, they need to get paid again next week, and then next week, and then next week. And so, and so they believe in sowing or investing their time in places that are bringing a kickback. See what I mean? And so whenever, when, so whenever you go back to work on Monday, really what you're saying is this, 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 this job or this place is important enough for me to spend my time here because it is, it is feeding my family. It's supplying the, my needs. Now, if you, if you just got your first paycheck and said, I'm out of here, like you won the lottery. Like if you win the lottery, then fine. You quit your job. You don't ever go back. You're like, I'm done. I'm just living in the... Because you have enough money to supply the rest of your needs. But if you don't have enough to supply the rest of your needs, you're going to go back on Monday. <laughs> right? And so what I'm saying is we all believe in sowing and reaping. We just aren't always sowing into the things that we are actually reaping from. In other words, the pride of life says you don't need to sow into God. You need to sow into your job. You don't need to sow into God. You need to sow into your personal well-being or your, your, your personal happiness. You don't need to sow into God. You need to sow into your children. And, and, and when I take from my stimulus check, when I take from my uh, pay check, when I take from anything that is above and that, that comes into my bank account and I give that to God, what I'm saying is that actually God is what I need the most. I'm investing back into him because I am saying all of my money comes from him. You say, well, how, how, how does that work? How's all your money come from God? Well, the scripture says God gives me the ability to make money. Therefore, he gives me like there's there's so he, he, he sets me up with opportunities to invest, to flip homes, to get paid for ministry. To God is the one who organizes all of that in my life. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's true of, of every single one of you. God is the one who sets up your particular capabilities, whether it's working on cars, working on houses, doing electrical, doing plumbing. Where, where did you get those gifts from? Doing, do, doing graphic design, where did you get those gifts from? Did you just invent those? Were you just born with those? No, those came from God. God put that inside of you, and now you're putting that to use. And by giving of your money, you're, you're, you're walking away from this idea of pride that I have built this on my own. And instead, you're saying God is the source of my financial uh, income. God is the source not only of my finances, but of more important things like my health. God is the source of my physical health, which, by the way, if you have finances and no physical health, you can't enjoy the finances. <laughs> so, so the health is even a bigger deal. And people with a lot of money would happily spend all of their money just to have a day where they felt normal. And yet God, and so, so by, by, by giving to him, I'm also saying God is the source of even bigger things like my health, like my emotional health, like my mental health, which is even bigger than your physical health. 
because your body can be deteriorating. But if you have uh, um, emotional and mental well-being, then even that's bearable. But the worst is when, is when you're, you're, you have, you're physically well, but you're mentally messed up. Maybe I'm the only one who's been close to being mentally messed up. And, and God brought me back. And God delivered me from depression. And God delivered me from self-pity. And God delivered me from these things. It, it, it wasn't some therapist. It was God. Now, a therapist can help and all of that kind of thing is great. But at the end of the day, the, at the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so a, a, I married a therapist, so I guess that helps, you know. Uh, <laughs> behavioral, what is it? but, you know, but, but basically therapy is it's cognitive behavioral uh, therapy. Cognitive, your thinking, behavior, what you do. And therapy, helping you kind of think better and, and, and do better. But at the end of the day, I can think better and do better and still not feel better. Because there's a hole in my heart where I need God. And I need his forgiveness and I need his perspective and I need his wisdom. And he has poured that stuff out of me. So the pride of life, I guess I'm trying to say that this pride that comes from life must be aggressively attacked in your life. You have to come against this thing. And we come against it by, by following the word of God. We come against it by disciplining our bodies and disciplining our minds to think like him. But we also come against it simply by worshiping him. By glorifying God, that puts down the pride of life. You can't both be proud, proud of your life and submitted to God at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. That's why worship and submission to God is such a huge key to this. But, but I want to go back to this idea of the eyes. He says it's the lust that comes from the eyes. And I know as soon as we mention that, um, people think of pornography. Because that's the lust that comes from the eyes. And actually it's interesting, in our small group this week, we were talking about just misconceptions around this idea of the lust that comes from the eyes. And I keep saying it that way, even though it doesn't sound right, right? The lust that comes from the eyes. What, what are you talking about? Nothing, nothing comes from my eyes. But I'm saying that because that's the way it's written in the original language. It's, it's lust coming from the eyes. And it sounds funky to us uh, Americans. It just doesn't sound right. We're used to lust coming into the eyes, right? And so generally the way this message would be preached is, well, you need to guard your eyes, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Like, that's kind of the idea. It's like, okay, we don't want lust coming into our eyes. So we need to be careful. And this isn't just sexual. This could be uh, you're scrolling on Facebook and you see an ad for, I don't know, a Toyota Supra. You know, there's new ones coming out right now and they're about... 32000 at the base price. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how I know that. But anyway, it's just... You might be scrolling along and you just see a sexy car. And you're like, man, my car isn't anything like that. You know? <laughs> like, I have, a, I have a vintage car that's pretty cool, but like, this guy's got zero miles on it. This guy's like, man, this is what. And you start, you, and you start, you start, you start sort of fantasizing about owning that car. Like, that car would be awesome. And so, the, the way this message would typically be preached is you need to guard your eyes because if you allow things to come into your eyes, like really sexy cars, then your heart can lust after that car. And then you'll go around thinking, man, I really, I just, I, I just want this new car. My car's not good enough. And that, that's not what scripture is talking about here. Uh, Job did say that he put a watch on his eyes, that he made a covenant with his eyes, that he wouldn't look at any young women. And um, that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole other part of scripture. That's not the lust that comes from the eyes. That's the lust that comes into the eyes. 
But what's interesting is John says that in the world, there is a lust that comes from your eyes. And, 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 and I, I think the beauty of actually looking at scripture is one, it, it frees you up to look at nice cars. <laughs> because that kind of teaching, what does it do? It creates Christians that have to become separatists. They, they can't step into the world because they're afraid of what might come into their eyes. Right? So you got to walk around like this. <laughs> How exactly do you evangelize walking around like this? How exactly do you build relationships with people who don't think like you walking around like this? How does that work? It doesn't work. I'll, I'll just tell you right now. It does not work. It, you, you create a group of Christians that are afraid of going to the movie theater. That are afraid of... St- Stepping into the mall that are afraid of Facebook, right? People canceling their accounts because oh, I'm seeing stuff I don't want to see. Well, okay, here's, here's an idea. Maybe if you guarded your heart, you wouldn't have to guard your eyes. <laughs> Maybe if instead of, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, although that is important, especially when it comes to sensuality. But for other things, the, this is not the gateway. This is not the gateway of lust, This is, according to John, this is something where lust comes from. Lust comes from your eyes. In other words, your eyes are lusting for something. What are your eyes lusting for? Your eyes are lusting and desiring, I should say. Your eyes are desiring what your flesh is desiring. What your inner man is desiring. Your eyes will start to look for what your heart is desiring for. And so it's not so much, it's not about what you're looking at, it's what you're looking for. Does that make sense? So God intended for us to be able to scroll through Facebook and not uh, stumble because, oh, I saw a Toyota Supra, now I got to go get a new car. No, if you have contentment in your heart, if you have gratefulness in your heart, if you have joy with contentment, in your heart. Then you can see a Supra or whatever. You can see whatever fancy new car. And, and you can say, man, that would be awesome. But uh, I'm not there. I can't really afford that. The stimulus check isn't that much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not going to work. That's, that's not going to work. And, and, it, and then you move on. So the issue is not what you're looking at. It's what you're looking for. Because the lust of the eyes is always looking to please the lust of the flesh. And so, so the eyes should be liberated, right, to look on Facebook, to look around the mall, to walk through life, to go to the movies, to live life, and yet be inoculated from the lust of this life because inside I'm not desiring, I'm not looking for what other people are looking for. Does that make sense? Like you can be in a room, speaking of the sensuality thing, you can be in a room full of beautiful women, Guys that go to City Chapel, for instance, and <laughs> so I throw that out there. <laughs> All the husbands say, "Yeah, yeah, that's right," and, and 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 not be filled with lust, because it's not what you're looking at; it's what you're looking for. But if you have eyes that are trained to lust, if you have eyes that are constantly looking for sexual gratification, that's going to mess you up. So then you're so oh, I just I just can't be I just can't be. No, it's not about where you are. It's about what you want. That's the problem. And so God wants to save us from the desires of the flesh so that it can liberate our eyes to not have to be afraid all the time of seeing the wrong thing. 
We gotta not be afraid all the time of letting the wrong thing in. Uh, not, not, now, there are things you need to, you know, set guard on and don't let that in. Absolutely. But, but for the most part, you should be able to go through life unafraid. You should be able to go through life with boldness. You should be able to go through life with, with courage. You should be able to step into situations with courage because you're not looking for what other people are looking for. You might be looking at the same thing, but what are you looking for? And this is true. This is true in sensuality and things like that. But it's also true just in life. Like when you walk into your house, what do you see? I was, I was praying over this message and I was laying up here on the stage and uh, just kind of looking up. And because um, I was like, Lord, what lusts are coming from my eyes? What am I looking for? And, I, and I'm a real practical kind of person. So I'm just like, my eyes are open. I'm looking at the ceiling right there, that, that beam. And these lights were out. And, and one thing I noticed is there's a patch of poorly painted um, ceiling right back here. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It bugs me. Every like two and a half years, it's been like that. And every time I'm like, yeah, I don't know how if you can see it from out there, but that's kind of like, and then this light right here, you guys see how like there's green coming out of that light. My, my eyes went to that light, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we need to change that light, because that's dumb, you know? Because what's happening is the lights, like, like those, those uh, four bulbs are dying, so they, they, they don't have, I think it's red that they don't have anymore, or blue, I don't know. But anyway, they, so I'm, my eyes start going to problems. I start seeing projects. Oh, I haven't done that, need to do that, we really need to get around to that. And I said, wait a minute, Lord, why, like, why do my eyes go to that when there's other things? Right, like I remembered the guy who painted our ceiling, right? And that kind of brought back some great memories when we were in here and he's working hard. He donated his time. It was one of the dads of a guy who used to go to our church and he just came in and donated his time and it cost us very little to paint this whole ceiling, which is a big deal. And so I started thinking about that. And so it's so interesting how what you're looking for affects what you start thinking about. And what you're thinking about affects how you start feeling. And, and, and some of us, we walk into our home, you, you walk into your living room and, and just look around and what, where, what, where do your eyes go? Do it, does it go to the imperfections? Does it go to the poorly cleaned countertop? <laughs> Sometimes I think our eyes are drawn to problems because our flesh likes to keep busy. Because our flesh wants to be needed and important and busy because if I'm busy then I am needed if I'm busy then I am important if I'm busy then I don't have time to think about other stuff and so our eyes are trained to look for problems because our flesh loves to keep busy I don't know if that resonates with you but that was kind of with me Harry you don't need another project <laughs> you got enough projects you're working on enough stuff but yet my eyes are always looking for projects my eyes are always looking for imperfections and this is true, like, this is true in your living room, this is true in your bedroom, but this is true, like, in your relationships. What are you looking for in your relationships? Are you constantly looking for the cracks? Are you constantly looking for, oh, that could be a bad sign, oh, and that could be a bad, are you constantly looking, or what are you looking for in the church? This may come as a surprise to you, but it's, it, it's so encouraging when I have people in the church who all they see are problems. It's just so wonderful. I love it when they come up and talk to me about the problems they see in the church. I'm like, oh, good. They're coming to talk to me again. This is wonderful. I'm going to walk away encouraged and inspired. <laughs> there's this, and there's a spirit of division, and there's what's going on, you know? And it's like, well, how do you know there's a spirit of division? Well, so-and-so is gossiping to me. Hmm, that's interesting. 
You know, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting. It's like some people are always looking for the cracks. And I'm not saying you shouldn't see cracks. I'm not saying you should be just blind to issues and just kind of hum them through life. But the truth is what you're looking for, you'll see it in every situation. You'll see it all throughout your life. And then you have to ask yourself, why? Why am I looking for that? Because if it's coming from the desires that are of the flesh, if it's coming from the world, then it's leading to death. It'll lead to emotions that are deadly. It'll lead to value systems that are deadly. It'll lead to practices that are deadly. And yet, desires that come from the Father lead to life. And so God will show you things occasionally that need fixed. God will show you things that are off. But God will also show you things that are beautiful. God will also train your eyes to be grateful. Because eyes trained for gratefulness, they see different things. They see the paint and they remember the guy who painted things and they thank God for him. And they ask God to bless him wherever he is right now because I don't really know. But man, that would be awesome if God just poured out blessings on him for what he did for our church. Because eyes that are trained for gratefulness are very different from eyes that are trained for neediness. Very different eyes that are trained for, well, it's not quite good enough. Why? Why is it always not quite good enough? Don't, don't, wouldn't, wouldn't you love for God to pull the veil off of all your not quite good enough stuff and allow your eyes to see all the things that are not only good enough, but wonderful and beautiful and to be grateful for and to be celebrated. Because sure, there's a squeaky wheel. There's always a squeaky wheel. God makes sure in your life, one wheel is always squeaky, but you got three others that are working great. Right? And, and when your eyes are trained to look for the squeaky wheel, it's like that one wheel overcomes all the other stuff that's doing great. All the other benefits, all the other blessings seem to fade to the background because, well, that one thing's sort of out of place. Well, sure, there's always something out of place. Don't ignore it, but what are you looking for? What, are the, what, what is your eye longing for? What does your eye want to see? And if your eye wants to see problems, it will. But that is not coming from the Father. That's coming from the world. The world that says you have to have it all together. The world that says you have to have all of your kids have to be perfect and your marriage has to be totally fulfilling and your church can't have any lights like that. And uh, <laughs> Because these things come from the world. These don't come from the Father. The Father doesn't care if a light's a little funky. Actually, he doesn't mind. Now, I, I, I want to fix it, and I probably will. I probably have to now that I use it in the sermon illustration. But, but, the, but the truth is the Father's not concerned about that. The Father's concerned about people. Father's concerned about people that are struggling, people that are in the hospital last night, people in our church that are, that are dealing with all kinds of things. That's, that, that's the kind of stuff the Father wants me to spend my time on. <laughs> But my eyes, my eyes long for something else. So what are you looking for is one question. And then what are you looking with is another question. Because you can look for the right thing. But if you're not looking with the right eyes. Uh, in 1 Kings, I think it's chapter 6. We don't have it on the screen. But there's a, there's a story about Elisha and his, and his servant. They're, they're, uh, they're kind of on the run. Um, from from a particular king because this king is pretty mad at Elisha, and so they go they go to sleep in this one particular town, this village, and they wake up. The servant wakes up early to go get water from the from the the square, and he realizes that that they're surrounded by an entire army. That the king had found out where Elisha and his servant were, sent an entire army to surround the city so that 
Whenever they got up and whenever they went to walk out, they would be ambushed. The servant realizes this, runs to, to wake up Elisha, says, man, we're in trouble. Like, like the city's surrounded, and I don't think they're here to chat with us. Like, they're here to kill us. And, 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 and the, the servant is so fearful. And, there, and, there's, and there's a passage, you've probably heard about it, where the, where the prophet said, uh, don't be afraid. There's more with us than there are against us. And then he prayed this interesting prayer. He said, Lord, open his eyes. Now, his eyes were already open. It was his eyes that did a little investigatory journalism that figured out that they were surrounded. It was his eyes that produced this fear. It was his eyes that let him know that he was in trouble. And yet, Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. Well, he's not talking about his natural eyes. He's talking about his spiritual eyes. Because Elisha was living with two different sets of eyes. Elisha had physical eyes, but he also had an internal spiritual sense of what God was doing. And so Elisha lived not by his physical eyes, but by his spiritual eyes. And so he said, Lord, open this man's eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw that all around the hills behind his enemies, that his enemies surrounded him, but that surrounding his enemies was the army of God. And there's all these crazy like angels with swords of fire and chariots and all this nonsense and probably like, you know, laser guns and things and lightsabers and like, you know, like definitely lightsabers. And uh, it's just totally surrounding all of his enemies. And suddenly he wasn't afraid anymore. Suddenly he wasn't fearful anymore, not because he saw something different, but because he saw with something different. He was looking at the same situation now with different eyes. This is my prayer that the Lord would open our eyes. That we live so much by what these eyes desire. Because, you know, these eyes, like he's going to get water and he sees, you know, an enemy soldier right there. And so his eyes go, whoa. And so he looks over to the right. There's another soldier. What what, What are his eyes are looking for a path of escape. And he makes his way all the way around the camp. And that's when he realizes there is no path of escape. So his eyes desire to escape. But that's coming from his his human nature. His human nature wants to be free from people who want to hurt him. That's perfectly natural. But God had a different plan. God was using him as bait for the enemy to close in. And then God would surround the enemy, confuse the enemy, which, by the way, he ends up doing. Elisha calls down blindness on the enemy, which is such an interesting thing to call down. Because it was a type of blindness that created the place of fear for his servant. And so Elisha calls down blindness, physical blindness on the enemy so that they can't see where they're going. And he walks out and says, hey, what are you guys looking for? Oh, we're looking for Elisha. And he's like, oh, he's this way. It's a comical story. Elisha leads his group of blind soldiers to a totally different camp where they're completely surrounded by this other army. Right. And then he's like, uh, so, OK, now, Lord, open their eyes. And then they realize that they've been following the guy that they were supposed to be fighting. It's, a, it's, it's such an interesting story about visual, about, about spiritual sight versus physical sight. That physical sight will lead you astray. Physical sight will lie to you. Physical sight will lead you down a path that you're, that you're not even planning on going. Physical sight, if you only see in the physical, you will not make the decisions that God wants you to make for your life. You won't step into the destiny that God has for your life. And you won't step into the fulfillment God has for your life if you're only seeing stuff in the, vis- in the physical. 
But there is a second sense. There's another visual that God wants you to have. And spiritual, like, like Harry, where I see angels. Well, yeah, sometimes. I don't know if you're opposed to that. I don't know if that freaks you out. But, but it, it, you, you, you have to get comfortable with the fact that God does have angels surrounding you. He has sent angels to be in charge over you. There are angels and demons locked in conflict. That's not fairy tales. It's not just random stories for children. This is, this is reality. This is the true reality that there are, there, there, are, there are spiritual forces at battle right here and right now. And God wants us to be in on that. And God wants us to be a part of that. God doesn't want us to live separate from that. Even though physically we are separated in this dimension. Yet God wants to peel back the curtain sometimes and let us see what he is doing. And by the way, he'll happily use you as the cheese in a mousetrap. <laughs> it's true. Just ask the people of Israel. Just, 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 just ask the people of Israel as they escape, as they escape uh, Egypt. And, and, and they come to the Red Sea. God leads them to the Red Sea to a dead end. And God's like, okay, now just stay here. Why? Well, we've got to give the enemy a chance to catch up. Because it's, it's a trap. And so God, God holds his people there just in time for the enemy to catch up. Then he releases his people to go through the sea. He opens the sea. And then he releases the wall of fire that was blocking the enemy. Thanks a lot, God. Now the enemy can just come right on in. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. So the enemy is chasing the people of God through the Red Sea. People of God come through the Red Sea. And then God closes in the, the sea on the enemies. So God will use you as bait, <laughs> which means if you feel like you're under attack, you might not be under attack. You might just be getting chased. There's a big difference. You might, you might, I don't realize why I'm under attack. No, no, God is attacking your enemies. God is trapping your enemies. God is, 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 is allowing your enemy to think that there's this great opportunity to take you down. And so he's going in for the kill. But God is going to use that situation to destroy the thing that's trying to destroy you. So he'll lead you through stuff. He'll take you through stuff. He'll even allow the enemy to nip at your heels and get really, really close. But the idea is if you could just open your eyes. I mean, if you could see what God is doing. If you could see beyond your physical view and your visual of what of this attitude and that situation and that argument and that, and, and realize that things aren't getting worse, they're getting better. Because <laughs> if you're the people of Israel, it's like, man, I go from slavery to running in the wilderness now to walking through this giant uh, river and ocean with enemies at my back. Things seem to be getting worse. But that's the thing. The visual, the human level of eyesight does not comprehend what God is doing. It cannot comprehend what God is doing. God is doing things beyond your, your physical view vantage point. And the people of Israel just simply had to trust God. And that's what trust is. But I believe that God wants to do beyond trust. He wants to actually open our eyes so that we start to see what he's doing. You have to trust him first. But if you'll trust him, then he'll give you a vantage point that's bigger than everybody else around you. 
He'll give you a vantage point on the virus that's bigger than everybody else around you. He'll give you a vantage point on, on, your, on your economic situation that's bigger than everybody else's vantage point around you. Sometimes, like, it's amazing. Two different people will lose their job. And one person will see transition and another person will see tragedy. And I'm not saying about just optimism. I'm saying understanding what God's doing in your life. Because God will use what looks like tragedy to actually be transition. And he's done it in my life time after time. And I'm telling you, I can't just live by what I see. I cannot walk by sight. I have to walk by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's the evidence that there is stuff that I can't see. It's the evidence of it. It's proof. I know that there's stuff I can't see because I believe the word of God. Right? And was it Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him or look for him. In all your ways, in every situation, what is God doing? Even in your mistakes, I'm telling you, sometimes we, we cross God out of some situations. It's like, well, I got myself into this. Well, no, no, no. You weren't alone when you were in this. He was with you in the fire. He was with you in the water. He was with you in the slavery. You weren't alone in this. You might have got yourself into it, but God is committed to getting you through it. And so, well, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What, like, in all of our ways, we got to acknowledge him. And then he will direct our paths. He will direct. Proverbs says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Like he orders them. He doesn't show you them. He orders them. He doesn't shine a flashlight on them. He tells you. He orders. He says take this step now. Take that step now. So living by seeing is nice. But living by hearing is a whole nother level. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Therefore I have to keep communication with the Lord. I have to hear him so that not just my physical eyes see things and, 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 and understand things, but my spiritual eyes begin to see things. So there's, there is this idea of what are you looking with, right? Ephesians 1, I think, uh, uh, what's his name, was sharing this with us. Uh, uh, Alan was sharing this on Facebook, and we were praying over this Ephesians 1 um, chapter uh, in uh, Wednesday night prayer. Uh, but this is one of this is part of the prayer that stuck out to me in verse 18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. <laughs> the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Not the eyes of your head. Not, 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 not these physical eyes, but the eyes of your understanding. Your understanding is what you understand. So an understanding is, so to see a situation is one thing, but to understand what that situation means, that's your understanding. So here in Ephesians, Paul says, look, you, you, you see the situation, fine. You got the pros and the cons down. Like you, you got a good visual of the situation, but you do not grasp what it means. So I'm asking that God would open up or enlighten the eyes of your understanding, your ability to understand what the situation means for you and for the kingdom of God. He says, I'm praying the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. See, this is where hope comes from. Hope springs out of a God-like understanding. 
We're like, man, if I could just see a way through this, if I could just see a path forward, if I could just see what God's doing. No, you don't need to see what God's doing. You need to understand. You need the eyes of understanding so that you can begin to understand what God's doing. You won't see it, but have an understanding of what you do see. That's what springs up hope. He says, this way you'll have hope of his calling and riches of his glory and, uh, and, and the inheritance you have with the saints. What And also, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? You're not going to see his power with the natural eyes. It's just going to be a thing that it comes to those who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And that word working is that word I've been hung up on for a few weeks. It's energia. It's according to the energy of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit has an energy and he's moving in, on the inside of you. If, you, if you're a believer, he's moving on the inside. And when you, when you step into the flow of his energy, some, like, energy is, is, what, is, is a perfect example of hearing from God. Because you can, if you can feel the energy of the song without knowing the words of a song. I've seen some of you on Friday night. I know, I know you're feeling the energy. I know, I know your Facebook Live videos. But you can feel the energy of a song without knowing the words to the song. You can feel energy and you can feel the energy of the Holy Spirit in your life without knowing the exact steps in your life. Uh, should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or date that person? Should I? Like, like those are all left brain questions, but there's this energy going. All the while, there's this, there's this movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. And sometimes it's that energy that leads you not to a specific direction, but to a general pull and a feeling that this is where I should be going. And this is right. And this is what God's doing. Right, And so he says, this is how God works. It's through this, this energy of his mighty power. There's this energy of his mighty power working in us. Verse 20 says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the same energy that raised Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So what are you looking for? What are you looking with? And then finally, um, why are you looking this is my final question. Why are you looking? Um, one of the most difficult times in my life was uh, working uh, for a ministry that I worked for for a couple of years. Not this ministry, not Promised Land. It was a, uh, it was a televangelist uh, guy that I was his personal assistant. And um, it, was, it was difficult. It was difficult because, one, it was just a difficult job. And so lots of people get fired from it. Not a lot of people make it. Um, it's a difficult job. Most people just quit in tears. They're crying. Um, it's a difficult job. And I only took the job because it's a fascinating story. Um, I was volunteering for this ministry uh, and uh, just helping out. And uh, it was for the, over the summer. I graduated college, Bible college, and I just wanted to go. I, I had made it a practice of, of of kind of donating my summers to different ministries and just volunteering for youth ministries or whatever. And so I had gone and volunteered for this ministry for six weeks. And toward the end of the six weeks, um, I was in Louisiana. I was at a hotel, and the Lord spoke to me. And it was really, once again, when I say He spoke to me, it wasn't necessarily words as much as it was this energy inside of me. And He wouldn't let me go to sleep. Because there was this, he, there was this thing, just in my spirit, and and uh, I was like, well, okay, fine. What, like, what, what, what are you wanting to say? And so then he starts to reveal to me that he's going to offer. I'm going to be offered a job. I didn't think it was with this ministry, but I was going to be offered a job that I didn't like, that I didn't want to take, but that I needed to take it. 
And I'm not the type that just takes jobs because I get offered jobs frequently. And I'm like, nah, I don't know about that. And so at the time, I was also, while I was volunteering for this ministry, kind of on the weekends, I was volunteering for a youth ministry. And so I thought that that's what I thought God was going to make me be a youth pastor. And uh, that was not, that's not, that's not what I wanted to do uh, with my life. Uh, we had, we started, it was a small little church there in Louisiana, and there was um, like two girls in the, in the youth group. That was it. And, um, but by the end of the summer, there was, we had, we had grown to 10 girls um, in, the, in the youth ministry. And I was like, I, I don't just want to have teenage girls that I'm ministering to for the rest of my life. But um, I, anyway, God was like, you're going to, like, this, I'm going to be, and so I said, well, I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need, like, like, because if this is something I don't want to do, especially the youth pastor thing, like, I'm going to need some verifiable proof that this is you. And so I, and I encourage you, like, negotiate with God, talk to him if your heart is right, right? If you're trying to get out of something, then eh, don't do that. But I, I just said, Lord, look, okay, if I'm going to take a job I don't want to take, and if I have to live in this rotten state of Louisiana, like, I don't know if you've been to Louisiana. It's rough. It is rough. Like, it's not, there's the reason, there's a reason why it's number 50 on, like, all the lists. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's rough. I'm not, I, I like, I don't know if you're from Louisiana. If you are, let's, let's pray. Stretch our hands. Candace. Well, yeah, I, if I had a choice, I'd only be there like five months too. And it's just, it's just I mean, New Orleans, I love New Orleans. So uh, if you're, hey, New Orleans is awesome. But the rest of the state is just, whoo, it's a mission field. And uh, I was like, well, you know, Lord could send me to Africa or he could send me to Louisiana. And so, especially if I got to live in Louisiana with all these bugs and with the heat. And then God sends me to Texas. But anyway, you know, it's like, I don't know, man. Um, and so I said, I'm going to need some proof. And so I laid out some things. Like, like one thing was somebody needs to come talk to me. Um, and tell me to take the, like, after I get offered the job, somebody who doesn't know me, doesn't know the situation, needs to come tell me to take the job. Like, that would be pretty cool. So I'm like, all right, that needs to happen. The pay needs to be exactly this much. And um, I didn't go, I, I should have went bigger. But um, anyway, I, I just, I'd never had a job before. So I figured this would, like, sustain my, 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 my college bills and, you know, it makes Sally Mae happy, and it would supply for my, my shopping skills, you know. And so, um, anyway, so then, so, so then the leader of, of the ministry I was volunteering at, he calls me into his office. He says, Harry, uh, we want to offer you a job with the ministry to be my personal assistant. And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, that's not what I want to do. Um, and uh, I'm like, well, how much, how much is the pay? And he says, oh, it would be, it was exactly what I had prayed about. And I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Can I just get back with you? And he says, sure. So um, anyway, I, like that night, I'm going to this church with, with the youth group because it's our last night together with the youth. And we did this pool party or something. And, and somebody who wasn't, like I did, I never met the guy before. I guess he went to the church and uh, he just said, hey, as I'm leaving, I'm going in the, like, man, I'm in the parking lot. And he's like, I'm just, I just felt led to tell you that if you get offered a job, you, you really ought to take it. And I said, what? And uh, <laughs> He said, I just feel led. If you get offered a job, you really need to take it. I said, like, what kind of job? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, all right. Okay. So this is really interesting. So I go back in. I tell Tommy, I said, okay, I'll take the job. Be your personal assistant. What do I have to do? He's like, well, you know, just, just hang out with my current personal assistant. He'll tell you what to do. He did not tell me what to do. 
he had two personal assistants. The one had just quit crying, uh, <laughs> bawling to his youth pastor. He had left, and it was me and this other guy. And this other guy wasn't real good at being honest. And so I caught on pretty quick. He was telling Tommy one thing and, like, me something else. And I was like, uh, so what am I supposed to do here? So I made up my own list of stuff, I thought, like, by, just by hanging out with the guy. And, uh, and uh, that's, that was my job description. It was five pages long with multiple bullet points. Um, it was a ridiculous job. We had 280 events a year, and I was in charge of all travel and all everything that happened in those events, those churches putting books out at different places. And, and this is for a ministry where the guy is very particular. Um, so it'd be one thing if this was just your mom and then I was in charge of taking her around. Like, no, this is, this is a guy who knows exactly what seat he wants to sit on in different types of planes, because the plane depends on, I guess, where he likes to sit. Exact rooms he likes in particular hotels. Like there's this Paddington. There's one in Paddington Station, the London Paddington. There's a, there's a Ritz-Carlton there. And I think it's room 272. I don't know. But um, you, the, he, like he wants his coffee at this particular temperature. Like So I memorize his Starbucks order. It's that kind of stuff where it's, it's, highly, <laughs> it's a highly detailed, high-pressure um, job. And we were, you know, booking private flights all the time and concierge levels in hotels and crazy stuff that I didn't even know existed. And so three months in, I mean, this is a, this is a brutal job, right? The learning curve is like this, especially for someone like me. I'm just, I, I was always kind of um, not against people that were on TBN, but I was not really a huge fan necessarily because it seemed like a lot of hype. And now I'm in TBN studios hanging out with like, you know, these people and their wigs. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, okay, all right. So you're going to add a wig on top of a wig. That's, Yeah. Because people do that. Who does that? Why is the gold everywhere? What is going on? You know, uh, and it was that kind of situation where the learning curve was like so steep. And at the same time, uh, my pastor calls me up, and he has a job at his church as an associate pastor. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. Not you know booking this and booking that and driving this over here. And and this is back in the day when we didn't have a lot of GPS. So I'd print out um, like uh, what was it? It was. MapQuest, to print out MapQuest directions, have it in my bag. I mean, it was, it was something else. And, and, and that was my life. And so I, I, I remembered this part of my life recently because Micah asked me uh, for our bedtime story. He says, Dad, when was the time when you were really angry? And I said, well, there was about two years there. I was on edge like all the time. I'll just tell you. Because stress can just make you on edge because you're, you're wound so tight and there's so much at stake. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars on these different decisions that I'm making. And there's so much pressure. And, and the, at, uh, the bottom line is, I want to succeed. <laughs> my flesh doesn't like failure. I don't know about you all, but my flesh, my flesh up until that time, had never failed at anything. Because I cautiously step into stuff that I already sort of do some research on and I'm pretty good at. Never failed at anything. And here I am feeling like I'm drowning, feeling like I'm failing. I was having nightmares of, of, get, of, of pulling up to the airport and realizing that I hadn't printed out the tickets. <laughs> it's bad when you can't even escape the stress in your sleep. <laughs> when you're dreaming about failing, like that's when you're really failing. Like when you're failing, when you feel like a failure your entire daytime waking hours, and then you feel like a failure for the eight hours, or for me, five hours that I was sleeping. That's called 
feeling like a failure. And so, yeah, I was kind of on edge most of the time. I was sort of, I was just, I was, you know, prone to anger. And so uh, there was this one day in Miami and um, things were not going well. Um, I was running late uh, to pick up Tommy from the airport, which you think, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. And um, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Miami. I have a rental car. It's actually a, a Lincoln Navigator. That's the kind we typically like to get. And um, I am hauling like, like down. Like, I, I didn't realize the, the rush hour traffic of Miami was, was the problem. And so I'm weaving in and out. I, I'm taking this thing to speed limits. I don't know if you should take it. And I'm just weaving in and out of traffic. And, I'm, I'm, and you just kind of like, you're just angry. I don't know if you're ever driven angry, but you just kind of like, like, get out of my way. Like, I need to get going. And I'm pushing this navigator for all it's worth. And uh, we're cruising through. And, and, and meanwhile, there's this beautiful sunset in, 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 in Miami. And I've always liked sunsets. And so I look over to my left, and here's this, this beautiful sunset. And, and I just, just kind of feel that warmth of the sunset. And I'm like, and I'm, like, I'm always praying, even when I'm angry. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm like, Lord, you did a great job right there. Like, that was, that was awesome. Like, you know, that's like 10 points on, on, on tonight's sunset. And, um, and, I felt, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just, just spoke to me, just, just calmly, and said, that's not all I did today. Because I was, I had this list. Like, if, I, if you think I have a list now, trust me, being a senior pastor is way easier than being Tommy's personal assistant. I'll tell you that. It's way less stress. Um, I got a list now, but um, I had a list then. And I was behind 24-7. I was always behind the list, behind the eight ball. And the Lord said, that's not all I did today. Like, like he's like bragging. And I'm like, well, it must be nice to be God. <laughs> I literally said that in the car. And uh, because that was, that was me, I was short, I was snappy, because I was, I was stressed. I was stressed because my flesh was feeling like it was failing. But that wasn't the only reason I was stressed. I was also stressed because my eyes couldn't see how this situation lined up with my future. Like I, I couldn't figure out why in the heck am I a personal assistant when I'm called to be a pastor? I don't even, I like, because, because a lot of people were in my position because they wanted to make connections, right? They wanted to connect with so-and-so at TBN to get a job at his church. I didn't want that. I didn't respect half the people at TBN. I'm like, I don't even want to go work for them. I don't understand why I'm here. This is a world full of concierge level and private planes and, you know, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And, and I don't fit here because really I just want revival. I want people to repent and get right with God. Like, I just want to get together and pray. Like, can we just do that? But I'm in board meetings all day. Right? Flying over, meeting with uh, John Hagee down there in San Antonio, taking him and Diana out to dinner. And stuff. Nice people, lovely people. But what are we doing here? You know, his ministry is great. I'm stuck on a plane. With, with Tommy, <laughs> married to Tommy. Like, like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in ministry. Like, this isn't ministry. This isn't helping anybody get free. This isn't, I mean, Tommy's doing lots of preaching, which is lovely for him. But I haven't preached in like a year and a half, which was rare for me. I was preaching so much. God was using me so much. And then suddenly he sticks me in the backside of the desert with some guy who I think is, you know, got some unrealistic demands and, uh, and I'm having to deal with it, right? We're talking room temperature bottled water in a glass at the stand. 
not cold water. You know how many times you go to a church and you tell the guy, we need room temperature water in a glass at the pulpit, and they don't do it? They, they, they stick a refrigerated bottle there? <laughs> Some of you are like, is this a problem? Yes, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem. You know how many times I microwaved bottles of water because they weren't room temperature? Anyway, uh, it's a big problem. And so, th- but this is the kind of nonsense. I'm like, why, why do I care about water and blah, blah, blah? Like, this is ridiculous. I remember <laughs> I was at Harry Jackson's church in D- Washington, D.C. I don't even know Harry Jackson. He called me Little Harry. He's a big black dude. And um, his church, they were so like, like, like they were just dead set on, we can have room temperature bottle water in a glass at the pulpit because glass is important because when Tommy's preaching, he doesn't want to grab a bottle and squish it and go all over. So a glass is important, but they kept putting a towel on, like a, like a napkin on top of the glass. It's a cultural thing. Like in their church, they always have a covered glass. And I said, yeah, we don't want a covered glass. And they're like, well, but this way it keeps the water fresher. I said, yeah, it's pretty fresh. It's, it's not going to get fresher with the napkin on top. And uh, they're like, wanna, I'm like, well, this is going to be a problem. Because when we get back on the plane, Tom's going to talk to me about the fact that when he went to grab his glass, like there was this weird towel on top. And he's going to have to like fumble with it while he's trying to preach and grab his glass at the same time. I said, we can't have the, the towel on that. So the, these were the kinds of discussions that I'm having. And so I, so they, they, they were like, no, we're leaving. It's a matter of respect. We're leaving the towel. So just before church starts, I walk up, take the towel and walk down. There's this other dude who comes up, puts a towel on. <laughs> Not even kidding. It's this little towelette thingy. And I'm like, what? And so I go to the guy. I'm like, dude, what the, I just took that. He's like, I know, but we got to cover. I said, could you give me one good reason? I know it's your culture. I know it's your tradition, but it's not ours. Tell me why. He's like, well, cause like flies could get in the water. I said, are I haven't seen a single fly in here. I said, you show me a fly and then we can, we can have this discussion. So anyway, it was that. So then I went back up just like the worship is going. Right? They're all singing. We get up on the platform. I will kind of walk up to the stage, kind of grab the towel and go and sit down next to Tommy. Like that was my life. And it was about water. It was about offering envelopes. You won't believe the kinds of churches that don't let you pass out their own stu- your own stuff because they're weird about it. I mean, these were the kinds of things that were just consuming. And then you got airlines and you got Hertz, rental cars, and you have people supposed to be picking you up and they don't come on time. I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. And, and what I, my problem is I couldn't see how this connected to my future because God had called me to be a pastor and he called me to preach specifically when I was 14. I'm not preaching at all. I'm arguing with guys about towels on water. I'm trying to get Tommy the seat that's like this one particular seat. This is crazy. And I, I don't care about any of it. But here's the deal. Your eyes are looking for what your heart wants. Your eyes are looking for what your heart wants. My heart wanted destiny. God's will for my life. <laughs> and God wanted in my heart submission to his will for my life, not how I saw his will for my life. And so I'm cruising, I'm flying down the freeway in Miami, and there's a sunset, and God's like, I did a lot more than that today. And, and I'm like, well, that must be nice for you. And he, start, he started just sort of just bringing to my mind various things, just the random fact that we're on a, a giant ball of dirt that's being suspended. In, in nothingness by him at just the right angle, moving 
twisting at just the right speed, consistently, so consistently that you can actually set subatomic clocks to the consistency at which he spins this globe. Not only spins it, but moves it along an elliptical pattern just exactly the right amount of distance from this other massive ball of fire. <laughs> and I start seeing this stuff in my mind that he's like what we call gravity is him. And it's so predictable because he's so consistent. He's so faithful. Subatomic clocks, because time and space are connected, they, they, they rely on space as much as they do our version, whatever, whatever time actually is. But it is so consistent. You can set clocks to it. You can set calendars to it for thousands of years, and it won't shift. And, and, and so he's got this thing on this, this slight axis, and he's moving it around. And then, you know, the seasons. And Scripture tells us that all the animals look expectantly, expectantly to him for food. And he feeds them. And he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, like, makes water evaporate off the ocean. And he carries it thousands of miles into the desert. And he dumps it on different places that need it. I mean, like, he's doing, like, all this stuff. And that's just in the nature, natural realm. And he's, and he's taking care of ants. And uh, he's providing, right, like, dung from certain animals to help these beetles, you know, like, lay larvae and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's bizarre, like, the way in which there's so, to me, it looks like chaos. But there's, there's this beautiful connection and, 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 and order to it all. And, and sustainability to it all. And it keeps going and keeps going. Not on its own power or its own strength. But we're literally in, in the middle of nowhere. And on, hanging on nothing. <laughs> so it's not, the earth is not on its own power and its own strength. We're hanging on nothing. There's nothing around us. It's zero space. It's just. And, and, and not only our planet. But all these other planets are also doing this incredible dance. Like around. And there's black holes and stuff we've yet to even discover. But mathematically we figure it's there. And God is like doing all of this. And then he's talking to me about a sunset. And he cares about me. And he cares about random people and people who he probably shouldn't care about in my estimation. And, and he's, he's at TBN and, and he's doing different things. And he's, at the, he's in the gutter and he's at the porn shops and he's, and he's, and, and he's in Taiwan. And he's, he's like, and like, and he's ministering and he's drawing and he's calling and he's sitting with the, the persecuted Christians in China. And I mean, I mean, all the things he's doing. And my mind's kind of like getting, and this is, this, is, this is the truth. Like God is doing so much more than you can see. This is the problem with the lust of the eyes, that the eyes believe that outside of its sphere, nothing's really happening. And that's what I was being sucked into. Even as somebody who's called to the ministry and serving in the ministry, you can still have the lust of the eyes. You can still be drawn to what you see. You can still try to, in every situation, analyze where this is going and how this benefits the call of God in my life. And how is this somehow, you know, what is God teaching me in this? Maybe he's not teaching you anything. Or maybe he's teaching you something that you can't see right now. And maybe that's okay. And so I'm, as I'm cruising along, uh, you know, I just had to, I just, I, I just had to repent. Because while I was doing so little, I was stressed out so much. And while he was doing so much, he was stressed out so little. And I realized that the source of stress was not based on what I was doing. It's why I was doing it. I was doing it trying to find a connection between where I was and where God had called me to be. And I realized I don't need to see that. 
And so starting that day, you know, I showed up late, picked Tommy up late. He survived. <laughs> uh, the world kept going around on its little axis and things. And the next morning, you know, I wake up in a hotel room in some city. I don't remember. And they always have those big mirrors, you know. And so I would just stand in front of the mirror and I would, and I would remind myself of who I am. I'm not a personal assistant. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not super Christian. I, I am a child of God. And that's what I see in the mirror, is a child of God. And I have one boss. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. <laughs> and I have one uh, payday. And it's, it's not here yet. It's not Friday. It's not next Friday. It's not 10 years from now. It's the judgment seat of Christ where he will look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my payday. I have one boss. I have one payday. I have one grade scale. And it's not people around me, how successful they seem to be or how quickly they seem to be moving in their particular ministry uh, journeys or whatever. No, it's the, 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 the scale is what he says. It's just obedience. And if he wants me to be a personal assistant till the day I die... Well, the whole preaching thing, I guess that was a mistake. And uh, okay, because I have one boss, I have one payday, and I have one job, and that is to obey him. And I just reminded myself of that every single day. Because when I looked in the mirror, I, I, I didn't see that all the time. I saw a failure. I saw somebody who was sort of lost and struggling, trying to become a pastor. And how the heck you do that when you're a personal assistant? I went to Bible college for four years, have, have a three-year degree in New Testament Greek. How in the world does any of that benefit any of the things that I'm at? How does that? Why did I do that, Lord? What was up with that? That was a waste of time. And this is, the, but, but, but it all came narrowed. It really narrowed itself down when I said, wait, I have one boss. So if my one boss told me to go to Bible college for four years and then never use that degree, I guess my one boss just wanted me to go to Bible college for four years and never use that degree. And if he's fine with it, maybe I should be fine with it too. Because it's not just what we see, but it's what we're looking for. And if you're looking for a sense of fulfillment, if you're looking for a way for this all to make sense before you'll just simply trust God, you're not going to see it. You're not going to find it. So, Lord, I, I pray right now that you would <laughs> remind us who we are. Remind us who our one boss is. Remind us when our one payday is. Hmm. Remind us what our qualifications are. We're not qualified because we're smart or successful. We're not qualified because we do a good job. We're qualified because we are obedient to what you say. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is, the, this is the highest compliment we could ever receive. This is the greatest accolade. And there's actually people who are very successful in ministry who will not hear that. <laughs> there's people who are very successful in business who will not hear that. There's people who are very successful in this life who won't hear that. But Lord, that's my, that's my goal. Because this world is passing away and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God, even if it doesn't make sense to them, whoever does the will of God, even if it doesn't pay well, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. 
And so, Lord, teach us. Teach us to see not with our eyes, but uh, through those eyes. Open up the eyes of our understanding. That's what happened. I began to understand my situation a little better. Lord, help us to understand our situation a little better. Not according to, you know, what school we've gone to or how we've prepared for whatever. Not according to how we thought things would go and how we thought they should work out. But according to what is God saying right now, am I obedient to him? If you're here today or maybe you're watching online and I don't know if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. Maybe you've allowed other things to cloud your vision. I don't know, I guess I'd just like to, I'd just like to pray for you. As somebody who's had cloudy vision <laughs> different times in my life, my eyes keep lusting to see. But my spirit doesn't need sight. But my eyes keep rising up inside of me saying, I, but I got to see it. I got to see how this fits. I don't know, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me and I need prayer. Yeah, awesome. All over this room. Yeah. Lord, I pray for these ones and those watching online. It is, this is why in Ephesians 1, he doesn't tell people to open the eyes of their understanding. He prays for them to have their eyes opened. And Lord, I I pray that prayer right now. Father, open the eyes of their understanding. There's a world perspective, there's their friend's perspective, there's their family's perspective, and all of that stuff is in their life. They can't escape it. That's what they see, but that's not what they're looking for. So, Lord, open the eyes of their understanding. By your Spirit, allow the energy of the Holy Spirit to start stirring inside of them and provide for them. That's what I felt on that on that car ride as I'm flying down at 110 miles an hour. I felt peace. I felt a God who was not stressed. I felt a God who was incredibly busy doing an innumerable amount of things and yet not stressed at all, having time to interrupt my crazy day having time to invite me into his rest. The one who creates such beauty, the one who creates such splendor, the one who, who, who does these beautiful sunsets. I don't even understand how it all works, but he's, he's, he's constantly doing all this beauty and he's inviting us into that beauty. Where things happen naturally, we don't force them where we're not a slave to the clock and we're not a slave to other people's opinions and we're not a slave to our boss and we're not a slave to this version of ourselves that we keep trying to catch up to. Lord, open the eyes of their understanding. Let their hearts open up. Let the ears of their hearts open up. Let them feel the the energy of peace and the energy of rest that is the Holy Spirit. Hebrews tells us there is a rest for the people of God. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. But today, if you will hear his voice, you can enter into his rest. And your busy schedule looks the exact same. And the craziness is all there. And the, the, all, all the pressure is still there. But it doesn't press down on you anymore. Because it's outside of you. Because I have one job. I have one boss. I have one payday. And it's not connected to this world at all 
or its structures, even its, its religious structures, is not connected to the hoops, is not connected to the steps. My, my job, my boss, my payday is outside of all of that. I serve a God who, who it has revealed himself, surely he has, as a father, as the son, as the Holy Spirit. And in that revelation, he's come to me and he's welcomed me into that community as a brother of Christ, as a joint heir with his son. Not because of my worth or value, but because of his immense love for me. And as I walk with him, though, I find out that there's all this, there's all this mystery to him, that there's this revealedness of him, but there's also a transcendence to him that I cannot grasp and I cannot understand. I can't put in a theology book. I can't make it systematic. <laughs> okay, chapter one and chapter two, there's this, there's this God who is entirely transcendent. Beyond what he's revealed, he is incomprehensible. And I just have to trust him. And I just have to obey him. And I just have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. Give us better understanding of where we are and why we are here and what we're doing. Who is our boss? What is our job description? When is our payday? <laughs> until you eclipse, until the beauty of what you're doing in our lives eclipse, eclipses what our eyes long for. Let us, let us starve our eyes. I think that's what Luke did, right, when... Obi-Wan was training them. He made him wear that face shield where he couldn't see what was going on. <laughs> you have to feel it. Because the eyes will trip you up, man. Because you cannot see what God is doing. You're not smart enough. You, you, you can't. You have to close your eyes sometimes. You have to tell your eyes, no, I, I, I walk by faith, not by sight. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might see your, your power, Lord. That's what we want to see. The exceeding greatness of the power toward us who believe. The same power that is working, energetically working inside of us to lead us to freedom, to lead us to peace, to lead us to joy.